The material shared within this podcast is based on the personal experiences and learnings of the presenter. Coloplast has paid the presenter for sharing this information. Nothing within this podcast is intended to be used as medical advice and or used to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to the Coloplast Professional Bowel and Bladder Matters Podcast, where we explore various important topics related to ostomies and continence. I am your host, Amy Daniels McClure. I'm a registered nurse with a doctorate in nursing focused on rehabilitation and a clinical consultant with Coloplast. What would it be like if you were to face a life-changing event so traumatic that it could define you for the rest of your days, that it could change what you do, how you do it, and call into question every dream you had ever dared to chase? What happens when you arrive back at square one? For Trisha Downing, a competitive athlete, life was about an active existence, freedom, and seeking out her next big adventure. That was until the day that tragedy struck and everything changed. Arriving in unknown territory, Trisha found herself relearning simple tasks, reinventing her life, and redefining able. In making her comeback to athletic training, Trisha took the lessons that she learned through her injury and rehabilitation to start her life. Realizing that life is like a sport, the training we do makes a difference between just being in the race and raising your arms with pride across the finish line. Embark on a journey of self-discovery and explore the essence of the human spirit with our speaker as she shares how strength, courage, and perseverance changed her attitude from I can't into I can when faced with seemingly overwhelming challenges. Please welcome Trisha Downing. So you'd mentioned just then the psychosocial piece, which I think is really important to talk about, you know, that transition home, you know, inpatient, there's so much being thrown at you, you know, you're almost in this like hurricane of crazy, you know, all your body systems have changed. You're probably mostly focused on that chair, you know, and transferring and how you're going to get home and maybe a little bit of bowel and bladder, but rehab days are cut super short now. Yeah. Um, And so maybe not a ton of bowel and bladder. And then you get home and there's that psychosocial piece of, wow, this is on me. Yeah. What was that experience like for you when you get, when you first got home and where did you turn? For me, that was really the hardest part because that was when it, that was when it really sunk in, like this is for real and this is forever. For me, I really turned a lot to writing and writing it all down and writing down how I felt. I mean, I, there was a certain amount that I could share with my friends, but again, like I didn't have the big network of other people with spinal cord injuries. And so there wasn't really people for me to turn to and, and talk really candidly about what was going on. So I did a lot of writing, but I also feel like I just kind of did what an athlete would do and say, Oh, I'll just suck it up. And you know, that catches up with you Mm -hmm. after a while. And so I think encouraging that kind of care or those kinds of services after discharge, I think is really important. I mean, when you're in the hospital, there's just, you're just processing too much. Right. But when you get out of the hospital, I think that's really when that psychological care and and necessity is really important. We've seen mental health become a huge topic, which is good for us now. But back when you got hurt 21 years ago, we weren't talking about mental health. And so I think it's really important in the rehab space that we remember how important that is for patients with spinal cord injuries and maybe help at discharge. Yes. Hook them up with somebody or, you know, that it's okay to talk about it. It's okay to be a little bit depressed. I Uh mean, you know, I mean, that's part of it. That's it's part of the stages Mm -hmm. that you have to go through. I mean, it's, 
it's still grief when you still have to go through all those stages of grief and you will. It's funny because a lot of times I'll hear people talk about somebody in the hospital, like, you know, I'll get somebody calling me and saying, oh, you know, a friend's son or daughter got in an accident, had an injury there in the hospital. And, you know, I'll get, oh, they have a really great attitude and they're doing fine. Whenever I hear somebody say <laughs> that, I, I kind of like chuckle, but not in a, that's not a good way to say that. But, you know, because it's, Yes. I mean, you can be as fine as you want to be on the outside, but I guarantee you on the inside, that person is saying, oh, crap, what do I do now? And we want everybody to make everybody feel good. You know, we want to assure our mothers and our fathers and our sisters and brothers that we're fine. But I don't think you can get through this injury without having some low grade depression or um, frustration. You know, I mean, it's just there are things that you can't do like that you used to do or things that take longer, um, things that are, it's just frustrating because you just can't live the same life. Right. I mean, sure, you can get back to the things that you were doing, but it's not ever going to be exactly like it was. And it's still a loss. And I, I love that you said it's a grief. It's the stages of grief. Absolutely. And I don't hear that a lot in rehabs. And I think that's important. Um, thank you for sharing that because it is important to look at that. You guys, anybody that's been through a spinal cord injury has lost something. Right. And it's important, I think, for clinicians and patients to know how fast you go through that is how fast you go through that. Right. Now, yeah. there's, a, there's a point where we maybe need to intervene. Yeah. But, you know, you might have done it at a little different pace than some of your other friends that you know in the spinal cord injury world. And it's just, it's okay. And right. But you got it. We got to help you get through it. So that's an important part. Thank you for talking about that. When it comes to psychosocial parts, there's the whole you've lived with us for 21 years. So you've grown up a lot. Mm -hmm. So you went from being kind of that athlete living very spontaneously to now you are a full time working female and you work lots of hours and you're married. So along that whole continuum, you're, I'm sure your living situations have changed. So what's it like changing? You know, you're used, I can imagine you get very used to your settings at home and how comfortable you are. What's it like when you change? It's like anybody else, you know, we all go through life changes Mm -hmm. and we have to be able to adjust, but there's always going to be that extra layer on top of it when you've got a spinal cord injury. So whether it's meeting somebody and having a significant other and having to teach them what a spinal cord injury body entails. For me, it, it actually wasn't that bad. My husband had been involved with working with athletes with disabilities before we met. So he was familiar with some things that, you know, (laughs) I've been through and then I go through, but you know, there is that like trepidation when it comes to Mm -hmm. dating or talking to somebody about what you need to share with them about your body. Then there's the part of home where you live. Maybe you move someplace new and you need to figure out, is it going to be accessible? Is it not going to be accessible? And you get really comfortable with how your setup is at home. I'll find like when I go to somebody else's house who has a spinal cord injury, I'll be like, well, how do you live like this? You've got your bath bench like turned this way and you're this kind of space and not this kind of space. And so everybody has it differently. Uh-huh. And you just really kind of have to figure out what works for you and then keep that as consistent as possible and keep that in mind, especially if you're moving to new houses carpeting corners, door widths, you know, all of those things are things that you never probably would have thought about before, but now are really important. And you got to ask yourself, can I live with the way this is set up day in and day out? And how did you make, when you moved into a new house, did you, did you know right away 
or is it something that you had to kind of throw yourself in the new place? Yeah, we had already signed the papers and we got to the house. And that was when I realized that some of it was not going to be as easy as I thought. And I I had a meltdown probably (laughs) five days into owning the house. And I was like, we can't stay here. This isn't working. And, you know, so that was really, that was really hard, but we figured it out and we made it work, but it's definitely something to look at, especially when you're buying a house that's already built. That's, you know, our house is old. It's in a 1969 house, so it's not built excessively um, necessarily. We, we did some changes. We widened some doors and put in some yeah. ramps, but it's a ranch house and and we've made it work and it's very comfortable for us now, but I, it's, it's not the ideal wheelchair accessible house. So, it, you know, at some point we might build something new or move. Well, now you know, new. right? And now, yes, like, now I know. And, and that is another good point. What you start with is not what you're going to end up with, whether it's your wheelchair, your adaptive equipment, your car, your sports equipment, whatever it is, it's going to evolve over time. And you're going to learn. I'm on probably my eighth wheelchair, I would say. And the chair I'm in now is far different from the chair I went home from in the hospital. Mm -hmm. And so you learn how you want to sit, how heavy of a chair you're willing to have. And that usually depends on if you're picking it up and putting it into the car or if you're going up a ramp Mm -hmm. or you have a lift, all these things that you change, you know, I have a a racing chair, um, but I'm on probably my fifth racing chair and everyone gets a little bit more fine tuned. So it's, it's a process and it's a journey. And it's, and that's one of the things you have to remember is that just because you bought something or have something doesn't mean that it has to be the one and only thing that you use. You can find something that will probably fit you better. Well, and I think that's a very positive way to look at it, Trish, just because it doesn't work doesn't mean it's not going to work and learn from it. What you guys learn about this house, you will make sure the next house doesn't have. Exactly. Right? And what's working, you keep that. Everybody's so willing to say what's worked and what hasn't mm-hmm. worked for them. I think that it's, you know, you can get really good information if you network within the spinal cord injury community. You know, you talk about the technology and how you get online and you're very savvy at learning new stuff. But when you talk about new technology and just how things have changed, looking specifically at bladders, I mean, that that technology has gone from, if you've been hurt longer than maybe even you learned to reuse your catheters to now we're on totally different catheters. How do people find that stuff out? Do you guys talk about it? I think a lot of it comes from word of mouth, but also I do have some appointments at my original rehab hospital and try to get the information that way. Mm -hmm. And also just kind of learning what works for you and what doesn't work for you. I mean, that will make itself very apparent. I did in the beginning reuse catheters, especially Mm -hmm. because that was at a time when my insurance wasn't covering my catheters. But, you know, I noticed an increase in UTIs. And so then you you got to say, okay, maybe this isn't working and you got to figure out another way. So just being adaptable to change, yeah. which has been your whole life. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so speaking of change, you know, one of the things that um, I think we take for granted as an able-bodied person is the spontaneity. What happens to spontaneity when you get hurt, um, when you have a spinal cord injury? You said I wasn't yeah. allowed to say the word spontaneity because it doesn't exist. <laughs> well, yeah. World, yeah, spontaneity is happened. really not part of a spinal cord injury. I mean, you really have to be um, much more of a planner, um, whether it's spending a day away or going away for a week. You know, you right. really have to 
look ahead because if you want to rent a car, you need to make sure that they install a hand control. So you have to rent a car at least two days in advance. And you want to make sure that you have an accessible hotel room. And you want to make sure the airline knows that a you know wheelchair is going to be on board. Mm-hmm. And so you really have to think about what you want to do and and really talk to people and not only ask about accessibility, but also explain to them what accessibility means. Because I've had people say, yeah, it's accessible. You know, we just have one step to get in. And so they don't always understand that that one step is the barrier. It is, you know, the biggest barrier. And so I think that's a frustration that never goes away because a lot of people don't understand what accessibility means or they're not willing to be accessible or they think it's a, a burden for them to have to change something to be accessible. So, you know, it just means planning ahead and knowing that you have plenty of catheters when you go out the door. And what does that mean to you? Because you've said that a couple of times, like how did you figure out how many to bring? I usually take 10 per day when I'm traveling because that's more typically more than I need. But double what you need, just a few uh, more than you need. It's just a few more than I need probably, but at least 10 per day. Um, when I go out, just like, you know, in my backpack, I probably at any time I have somewhere between two and five catheters with me. And then I have them stashed everywhere. You know, I've got them stashed in my car, they're stashed in my husband's <laughs> car, they're in my bike, in my office. Yeah, I just like try to keep some everywhere that I might possibly need them. How did you get your head around being okay with that? Because I think about it and if I need to go to the bathroom, I just go to the bathroom, right? Like you have to have, what if you're out and about and you don't have one? I think it's probably easier for females because we're used to it. You know, we have to always have a tampon on right? right? So for us, it's probably not as big of a change as it is for a guy. Um, But you do have to remember, because if you leave the house and you don't have a catheter, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. So it's just something that I think you just kind of like program into your brain, like always check your bag before you go out. Make sure you have everything that you need. Well, and I think you bring up a good point too of if there's places in your in your life that you go to a lot, then you just keep them there. Like you have it in your bike. Yeah. You know, I think that some people have it maybe at their friend's house if they feel comfortable with that particular friend that they see a lot. And that's a, that's an important adaptation that you can make that yeah. when you're ready emotionally to make <laughs> that. I think that's another thing that we can do on our end is make sure that you guys feel comfortable with the products and how they look. If they don't look medical and they don't look weird, right. then you might be more willing to have them everywhere. So that's something that we can do on our end too to help. Absolutely. So keeping that spontaneity as much as you can. Um, it sounds like you've probably learned how to be a little bit more spontaneous. Yeah, it takes time and work, but you can figure it out right. so that you can be a little bit more spontaneous. Because I think spontaneity is important, especially with your quality of life and your husband. You know, there may be times where he just wants to go do something. You say it's not a word in your vocabulary, but it is just knowing you. You've probably been able to to figure that out. So thank you for for talking about spontaneity. I know it's hard. What is the number one thing that, and this is going to be the last question for here, that really impacted your quality of life in the past 21 years? So you are now starting to age with your injury. Um, we all are because I'm your same age. So we're, you know, we're all starting to get a little bit older. What is the number one thing that you've done to impact your quality of life that you can pass on to another woman? To make it better? Better. Um, or what made it worse and what did you do about it? You know, I think the things that actually have impacted my quality of life the most is getting the Mitrofenov surgery and having an ostomy. Yeah. Because I, now I have far less anxiety 
I don't really need a bathroom. You know, I can take care of everything. Like, I mean, it makes doing something like going camping a no brainer. Whereas before I would have been like, wow, how am I going to do a bowel program if I'm out in the middle of the woods? How am I going to cafe? You know, and so things like that, like that has made my life so much easier. And it's not for everybody. Not everybody wants to have an ostomy. Not everybody wants to have a metrophenoff. People might have different ideas of what kind of clothing they want to wear and how easy or hard it is to work around and deal with. But those are the two things that have actually made my life super livable because I can go skiing and have 12 layers on. And all I have to do is like get down to my belly button and I'm done. I don't have to take off three layers of pants to be able to calf. And so people just know that there's options and that those options, you know, they might seem bad. I I had a meltdown the night before I went and had my ostomy surgery, but since then I, I, it's like the best thing I've done. It's made me able to have the life that I have. So who exposed you to those? Who was it that gave you those options, those life-changing options, which Um, The Mitrofinoff, I found out about from a friend and the ostomy was, I had a lot of intestinal issues and things were just not moving correctly through my body. So it was kind of like, it became like that just had to happen. Yeah. So the G, was it your GI doctor that kind of said, hey, yeah, this time? Well, it's good that it turned out positive. Yes. And I love that it's like the number, you know, a big impact of your quality of life. Because when you first got it, you were yes, not happy. Not so happy. <laughs> <laughs> so that's good to hear that you are living well with both of your um, stomas. And yes. I wouldn't even, looking at you, Trish, I would have no idea. So thank you for joining us today. All right. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Bowel and Bladder Matters podcast, part of Coloplast Professional, where we believe clinician education related to ostomies and continence matters. For more educational resources from Coloplast, visit us at coloplast.us professional.